Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your co-host, Stephen Spector. And with me, of course, is Rob Hirschfeld. Good morning, Rob. Stephen, good morning. Another day in paradise of working from home. And uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to, you know, for my last podcast, I said I was heading out to golf. And I want you to know I've gone twice now. And uh, the ball went in the air when I hit it. And so that was a very successful event for me. So I may continuing my career towards, since I can't, since there's no jobs, I'm thinking maybe they'll bring back the miniature golf putt putt, professional putt putt. Do you remember? Do you remember professional putt putt used to be on uh, on the TV on Sundays when I grew up? Well, anyway, I'm excited today. We have two guests, something we don't do often. And even better, uh, there was a Twitter conversation you had last week talking about silos as a service. And fantastic, these two guests who are with us both had comments and disagreed. And they were nicely disagreeing. There was no venom, at least not yet. But I will stoke the fire during this uh, podcast. And if if things start getting thrown, I will be sure to put that video on because we want heated exchanges. But anyway, (laughs) let me me welcome both our guests. They can do a quick intro and we can go. So uh, Tyler Johnson has joined us and uh, Sarjeet Johal. And I think I got Sarjeet's name right or close. Yes, you almost got it. Almost got him. Not too bad. My apology. So Tyler, why don't you go ahead and uh, give us a brief introduction and then uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, so Tyler Johnson, I'm the CTO, co-founder of PrevOps. Uh, I've been in technology for a long time, um, over 20 years. Uh, worked at Hewlett Packard, worked at NetApp, uh, Rackspace. Um, seen a lot of a uh, lot of um, technology changes over the years, and you know, most recently this, this transformation to cloud and, and people moving there. But as much as things have changed, they've stayed the same. Uh, you, you still have, you know, vendor dynamics that are, that are um, still very similar to the way things worked 20 years ago. And um, so after leaving Rackspace, what I did was I thought, well, you know, what if we did something different? So uh, I went and, and took the plunge and became an entrepreneur first time uh, after you know a decade and a half working for multi-billion dollar tech firms and um, what we built is a technology platform a data fabric if you will that makes it possible to share data and applications across di- different clouds um, but um, un- unlike Rob and Rackin uh, we're very much focused on the data layer as opposed to the infrastructure layer. And um, what, what we're finding is that, you know, companies, organizations all over the world are not really taking advantage of their data the way that they should be um, because of these data silos. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with, with, with Rob and Sarbjeet and and Steve, that you know, it it really is a prescient discussion uh, uh, for today's situation with COVID, for uh, just the you know the digital transformation uh, of you know companies and, and industries and new business models and all of that. That uh, um, yeah, so that's that's kind of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Um, we. Uh, uh, we're still a small startup, but we're growing rapidly. Uh, we just got our, our patent, which actually is my 23rd patent. 
Uh, so, uh, so very exciting there. Uh, just got some um, business with the U.S. Air Force and helping them with their data sprawl. Uh, so, uh, so things are going well with us here in Georgia. So, Sarbjeet, would you uh, like to take over? Yeah. So, I wanted to play, play the Aerosmith a little bit. Uh, we're living on the edge. Now, that's the first we've ever had, Rob. So, please be safe. You got to bring your own soundtrack. I like that. <laughs> okay, I will, I will lower it. So, yeah, guys, Sarbjeet, I you should let people pick their own intro music. Yeah, my, my favorite song from Aerosmith is Dream On, which I think is also appropriate. Yeah. Dream on is good. It's very generic, but look, we're living on the edge. We talk edge a lot here. So, um, yeah, Sarbjeet, I have been in tech for the last uh, 25 years. I stumbled into tech after I finished my education, which I'm an economics major, but I started coding back in 94 and never looked back. And I coded, 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 coded for 12 years or so. And then after that, I moved to EMC. And uh, since that point, I actually moved into more like ops kind of world, right? First, it was apps, applications, and ops. Um, worked at EMC, VMware, Rackspace. Tyler and I worked at the same place uh, for a few years, I think about three plus years or so. Um, yeah. And then after that, I went to uh, Oracle uh, Cloud to do some work there. For the last uh, about four years, I am independent. Um, uh, I'm a recovering addict of uh, Twitter. So... Here we are. Oh, you're not recovered at all. Not recovered. Recovering. Oh, sorry. Recovering. Recovering. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. You're quite prolific on, on Twitter, Sarbjeet. Yeah. I, you put the rest of us to shame. <laughs> no, it's a blessing and a curse. It's, uh, it takes a lot of time to, to reply mm -hmm. every comment. It, it you definitely time. know how to drive a conversation on uh and that's what that's I think one one of the things that happened in in this case is that um, yeah. this was this was a uh, and Stephen sort of teed this up but I'll I'll reframe it to give people some background on on why um, why and and how um, these things are go these things are going on we've been having actually a, a multi week conversation um, ranging today on recording day which is Tuesday the twenty first July. Um, we actually uh, poked the bear on digital transformation. We've we've talked about hybrid cloud, multi cloud, and edge, and all these all these topics sort of bump through. And one of the themes that I pick up on on these on these discussions is sort of we'll just throw another service at it, and we we seem to come at the assumption that we're going to servitize everything in people's data centers um, or eliminate the data center and servitize everything that you use into um, either all on one vendor, which seems to not quite be the direction things are going or into um, uh, a constellation of, of vendors with different bits and pieces. And that's to me very much what we're seeing. It's not that dissimilar to what we saw in the early aughts from an IT perspective where we had a lot of best of breed technologies um, we're just seeing best of breed technologies at the SaaS layer. And so the thing I prompted here was saying, you know, it's SaaS is really becoming silos as a service, right? Where people are, are showing up with a new service. That service is a data silo uh, where you're, you know, you are entrusting a third party with your data. Then 
in order for that silo to work, you have to connect it to another silo and then connect it to another silo. Um, in this case, they're all managed by different companies, potentially. It's not dissimilar to what you would see on premises. We see the same phenomenon on premises. So we see the need to connect a lot of silos um, together as, as just as just as important um, on premises, you just own all the data. And so um, between our two guests, I'm very interested to sort of tease apart the operational side of, of, of having a lot of different services and then also the and also the data side, you know, the dog's going to be out in a second. The, and then the, the data side of, of what it means to do that. So well, um, it was, it, it was interesting that you mentioned the, the aughts because I thinking about that is that, you know, at that time you, you had all these big enterprise systems from, you know, companies like IBM and Oracle and SAP and, and so forth. And the, the software licensing model was a traditional one where you'd have a three-year license with, with support and updates. And um, it would run on a server in your data center or set of servers in your data center and a you know, server client architecture, three-tier architecture. Um, but we were kind of fooled into a false sense of complacency because of the fact that the database is set in our data center so we thought we owned our data but the reality is is that the data itself embedded in these applications in these databases were are of a proprietary nature so moving from a, let's say an AS400 or a mainframe to a Unix system or an x86 system um, or moving from Oracle to DB2 or whatever those migrations between the different infrastructure and application stacks were, were inevitably very difficult because of the nature of the data being different and having and the migration cost being so much higher than the cost of the software and the infrastructure. And, you know, it, it, you know, it provided a great business for companies like Accenture and Deloitte uh, uh, to make money in doing these transferals, but this, but we're we're seeing the same dynamic now in SaaS. That if you go to the developer website uh, web portal for Salesforce, for example, and look at the documentation, they have over 400 data models. Right. So, how many people can you source that understand those data models and are able? to be able to extract that information from that SAS API endpoint and then use it for important things like integration with your supply chain for inventory optimization or integration with your marketing system. So now Salesforce has the ability to sell you those connectors and those transformations, but that's just a method that that's an that's an enabler for them to create more lock-in and more uh, stickiness around their ecosystem. Do you, okay. do you think do you think it's that the fact that they have so many models is a problem, or is that a natural evolution? Like, is there a, is there a technical issue with this, or is that the reality of what the backend system is, and that's part of what we inherit as we look at this this challenge? It's both. They're, those aren't mutually exclusive. 
it's it's evolved over time you know 15 years ago there weren't as many but in the inexorable march from a you know insurgent you know disruptive platform up into enterprise grade software you inevitably have the feature creep that creates more complexity but that doesn't mean that they don't leverage that to create economic profits off of how they 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 uh, uh, get revenue from their software yeah I, I think it's a it's a plethora of factors like um, just like as individuals nobody wakes up in the morning and says that I'm gonna mess up today I think vendors and companies are the same way they don't want to create problem intentionally but they end up doing it anyways so <laughs> sorry yeah I love I love I love that right but so I, I, no, I don't, nobody, nobody wakes up intentionally on that, but I, 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 for one, wake up and think, how is somebody else's mess up going to impact my, my running my business, right? What's going to go down or break that's going to interrupt business operate, normal business operational functions, right? I mean, that's, that's the life in ops. <laughs> you wake up every morning, what, what, what things outside your control have changed and yeah. So I, let, let me let me let me Sorry, give, paint some paint some broad strokes broad strokes at first, right? Um, I think the the lack of standards in high tech, what we usually refer to high tech, you know, very software oriented world, um, is eating us alive in a way that we we don't realize it. So lately, what happened is okay. Let me back up a little bit more. So I think that there was an illusion of proximity. Uh, data proximity when we had applications in our data centers, as as Tyler said, right? Yeah. But yep. the proximity was not there because of the absence of accessibility to that data because of proprietary, and you have to get to that database and you have to have to know the relational schemas. But only then you're gonna write a SQL query, right, uh, to get a meaningful data out from these systems. And most of these systems back then and still are. They were they were um, they were systems of record mostly, right? So less of systems of engagement, if you will, less CRMs, mm -hmm. less um, there were SEMs to a certain extent, but less um, like customer focusing focused applications. There was back office mostly, and and less partner focused applications, and less, like a less of ecosystems, if you will. I think after after we got the the REST API, you know, adopted in, in mass, we have opened up a lot. Um, we operate in a more like ecosystem world these days. I think the, the best form of data accessibility is REST APIs. Um, it's not the backend, it's not ETL. It's not, I mean, we can say that like all day long, that oh, ETL is great. We can move data around and do this, do that, and data lakes and, data you know swamps whatever but uh at the end of the day if you can't get to the data easily in a meaningful way you, you don't have that accessibility i, I think uh, we are moving in into that direction where we have data accessibility but it is the fact that that SaaS creates data silos and there's no doubt about it so yeah a api so i'm gonna I agreed. I would agree with that statement if I was three years ago in 2018. 
today, having learned a little bit more and spending some time doing some of the, the uh, data integration work that I've done over the last few years, uh, I've realized that APIs, I, I mean, that's like going from, um, you know, crawling to hobbling. Uh, because the problem is that API is a transport of a data model. So when you do an HTTP get, what do you get in return? You get a JSON object, right? That is a type, of, uh, that is a yeah. data model, right? Mm -hmm. And so your dependence, your ability to get access to the data is completely dependent on whoever wrote that API and how effective that is in exposing the data. So if you, if you look at some of these, these uh, uh, data virtualization companies, data vendors, uh, or Salesforce, SaaS, whoever, whoever has that API, that API is driven to drive control and to move data into their ecosystem and make it difficult to extract it. So, for example, if you have uh, a, a data visualization vendor, I'm not going to say who it is, uh, but they have five APIs that you can use, right? And all you can do is related to ingest and egress of data. The business rules that you apply to creating reports, to creating data filters, all of that, None of that is accessible via the API. So they will die soon. They will die soon. Well, that's that's <laughs> that's that's the rule, not the exception, Sarb. Ouch! Ooh. No, actually, I, I actually, Tyler, I, I think okay, I I try I, I try to come up with these catchy phrases. I think I think you doubt their intent, but I doubt their uh, ability. There are, those are two different things. I think I think their ability the depends upon tooling, huh? But the, the result is the same. To us end users on the consuming side, yes, it looks same, but no, no, it, it is different. Because if, they, if there's no tooling, I talk at the industry level, not at the vendor level. So at the industry level, I'm trying to talk right now at the industry level. We can't talk about the vendor level stuff, right? So because the tooling was not there, um, they can't do much. So if, if the tooling is there now, the next thing is like, are they adopting that tooling? So are they training their people to do API first kind of development? So I, I think the world is moving from IP to API. I'll stop but, but, there. But wait, but wait a second, because one of the things that you brought into the thread that's worth coming back to now is functions as a service, right? Because I think Tyler makes a really good point. REST is a very flat protocol, right? I'm watching the Kubernetes uh, controller stuff and they're like flattening all of these control actions into objects, stateful, stateful objects, and because that's the API they've got, right? So Tyler, you're making this point about, hey, wait a second, the APIs, REST APIs are really flat ways to talk about data and really good at like N object. They're not good at sets of objects or time series of objects. We're, those are not ex very expressive for that. And then Sarvit, you're talking about, you know, you know, sort of getting to the, this point where, all right, I have object, how do I, how, data, how do I act on it? Which is, yeah really functions as a service, because I, I want to bring this, this into it, because that was your, your response back was about functions as a service, I believe, and thinking through, all right, how do we, you know, that's setting up a service that acts on all this data that's bumping around um, and could, could potentially be a glue or some additional 
layer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think my point was when I first replied, I'm looking at replied, I'm looking at that thread. I was trying to distinguish between application silos versus data silos, right? You can have applications sitting in with two different vendors, but the data is is less siloed. You can write applications that, that way, that data is less siloed. It is being written to your data center, for example, right? There are some vendors which- In, in, in classic, wait, in, in classic applications, right? This to me would be, and we don't see as much of this as I would expect. You don't see people writing an application that runs in Amazon to leverage data that another application is writing into Amazon, right? I no, mean, that's- Yeah. That, that, that would be an application as opposed to a SaaS. No, exa exactly. So, okay. The, Nothing stops us from doing that, by the way. There's a, there, there are engineering constructs, we can do that, right? So we can say that we want to write data to central repositories and that, okay. And now we come into this transactional data versus the data we want to mine. And then as, as soon as you introduce the, the data lakes kind of thing and data warehousing, and then you, you start to lose real timeness of the data, right? So the data becomes stale as, you know, like if you have to do ETL on the data, it's it's old now. It's it's, it's like, it, it, even if it's a few seconds old, it's old, right? So it, it, it reduces the value of that data when it's not real time. So I, I was trying to say that data silos are more, more severe of a problem than the application silos. That's what I was, where I was going. Yes, it's a dream goal for, uh, for us to write, start writing applications where the data sits together, but that's, we are not there yet. So the, for that reason, I think people will gravitate towards bigger SaaS vendors like SAP and Oracle uh, in, 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 in medium to long-term because the data silos are less because the cost of integration from like totally different vendors, it, it's a lot. Well, I, I guess it's good you bring that up because that's where, where we had the, the most lively discussion on Twitter was uh, um, my rebuttal to that was that I don't, I, I think that you have to look at the applications along with the data and treat both of them as a silo. Uh, and the reason being is that data, as you mentioned, at any point in time is a static thing. That data gets moved or, or uh, transformed via processing or and or via user engagement. So those are the two methods by which, you know, data, the entropy of data changes over time through those two methods. So, so looking at data at a, at a static point in time to your point as, as far as uh, becoming stale is, is correct. So what you have to do is you have to incorporate the application piece, which is really another way of saying, how is that data changing over time and based on what events that are external? Those things together are what the data is. Looking at data as a dynamically changing thing uh, which is, which is, it's a different way of thinking about it, right? But it's, it also creates the idea of thinking about the coupling of applications and, and, and we're, we're in the distributed multi-cloud era where applications are, you know, like the, the API economy, right? You can mash up multiple SaaS 
uh, applications into a larger, more diverse hybrid application. And in that context, the interdependencies and the relations of the application and the data have to be treated as a single thing when you're thinking about things like migrations, multi-cloud migrations, when you're thinking about adding new capabilities from a product set. Um, I mean, that's, yeah. that's my perspective. Let me, let me interject to you there. Let me Please. challenge you there a little bit, right? So the problem with data was like all along the 25 years I've learned is like the problem, the biggest problem with the data is that getting to the raw data, that means the database schemas can be relational or non-relational, is that those suckers tend to change. You add a new field, it, you're out of whack, right? So you, data structures can change, right? We know that, right? So you can add new fields, you can change the length of a field and whatever, right? So the, I always say that in, in software, abstraction is your friend. And it is really is your friend. Like you have to have abstraction in place. Like, you know, oh, like AD, remember? Object-oriented analysis and design classes from back then. I think that, that world still is valid. So what, what APIs do is they hide that world and they create a contract between where, where the data is and with the, with the, and from the consumer side. Yes, like it's a, it's a very nerdy, geeky thing to say that we want to get to all the data, every field in the database, but do you really need that? And I, I question that most of the time. I, I used to I, be I like think, that. I, I, used to be, I used to think <laughs> like that earlier. I, I, like, think, I think you don't need access to all the data. I agree with you on that. But what ooh. I do think is you need to think about optimizing the process of adding data so that you move from, so d data integration today is a 100% waterfall approach. We need to move to a more of an agile approach, which means optimizing the rate of change. Uh, so you, you, you spoke about like uh, uh, schema changes and relational, you know, moving to a model where, okay, so what happens um, you know, it's kind of like uh, chaos monkey at, at, at Netflix, right? You know, what happens if a, a AZ availability zone goes down? How does, how does your application automatically adjust to that? It's like that in the data world, except that it's if your data model changes, how much effort is required in being able to accommodate that? So you get to the point where you can achieve just-in-time access to the systems of, of record from the systems of engagement. Yep. Yeah, but hold, hold on a second, because I, I don't agree with, with where, where y'all have, have gone with this, because the right. idea that we can just expose a limited amount of data into through an API, especially when we start charging for egress, which things do, egress does cost money in today's world, then you, you've gotten to this case where I've now split up my application into a whole bunch of places, right? And then, so like we have a case where you, you know, we do this all the time. We have data in GitHub. It is, you know, CI compiled by another service that's checked by a third service that has, actually relies on components that are in a fourth service, right? There's, there's no way that, it, and it all works, right? Don't get me wrong, it works, but you know, if I actually wanted to do an analysis on that system, I'm going to get a fifth silo. I'm going to have to pull all the data or at least the relevant data into that and then keep it up to date and synchronized, which means I'm going to need a flow system and some type of aggregation. 
And the, the idea that I don't actually need access to the raw data, it's, it's working in the SaaS vision we have because those com our, our SaaS vendors are paying for the ingress and egress, but it's not, it's actually not giving us complete access to the data. If somebody wants to run a, a machine learning query against my data, I better have all that data, right? If you're cherry picking the data you're feeding into a machine learning algorithm, I, you might as well not write the, you might as well not do the algorithm, right? I mean, at some point you're, you're sort of crippling the, the, the inputs. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, a, that's a valid point. Go ahead, Sarbeet. Yeah, I, I think that that's what we are trying to like come to the conclusion, like what's the best, I mean, from the consumer side, I think if, if we can do a better service to the consuming and then the vendors that, who cook up this stuff, um, like how best they can consume these, these technologies. I, I think they, they are torn apart between going with five vendors for five different things or one vendor or two vendors for five different things, right? So, and then well, when they go with two vendors for five things, then there's more like a vendor lock-in thing, right? So and they, they may not get the best of the breed in that case. Like, for, for example, yeah. Workday might cook up the best, you know, HR applications, but they don't have the best uh, GL or, or uh, PL or, or core financial applications that they have to go to SAP or Oracle for that, for example, right? So um, I think, I think the, the buyers are torn apart. Like, where do I go for the best of the breed for this function? Uh, and, it, and because of the data silos, they will, they will end up going with the bigger vendors where they will sacrifice some of the, um, um, their efficiency, if you will, by just to get the data proximity right. I think that's what I'm trying to get to. And I think there's a next to the data proximity is the feature proximity also. So uh, when, when I say feature proximity, what I mean by that is that when, when you are using like five things from a tool, tooling point of view or from an application, it can be systems of engagement, um, then you want the sixth thing, like, like that you want to go to the nearest possible you know, venue for that, right? So I think in that case, they keep going back to the same vendor for, so or, so or we, we, that. we saw and this vendors a know bit. that vendors know that right yeah and and that's why you know anybody that's been a VP of product at a at a large tech company knows that part of so you have a PNL and part of that is managing churn right and min, and minimizing churn is all about platform stickiness so that so the vendors are playing into that so now you've got this vicious or virtuous cycle, depending on which side of the table you're on, cycle of create, uh, of moving away from standards, away from interoperability. And, and, and the question I have is, is that what's good for the industry? Yeah, I think, I think that's what we're trying to get to. I think, okay, the ideal situation is not having vendor lock-in, right? But what, by doing that, what your data gets siloed. That's where we are right now today, right? So how do we kill the data silos, but still go to the different vendors for, um, for best of the breed functions? This is, functionality, th right? there, was, there was a time, right? Put on, put on your, it's not even that far, that way back, right? Uh, Salesforce was trying to build a, a, a companion ecosystem hosting platform, right? They bought Heroku, 
Yeah. Isn't that what they bought Heroku for with the idea yes. that they would mm -hmm. be able to host applications there where they had an ecosystem living out of their data model and you could then do these point solutions, but with proximity to your, your Salesforce data. Um, yeah. And what's amazing is I see very little of that as a, you know, I, I don't see it as a thing people talk about. Do, do you have a feel for whether it was a successful component? Well, I, I mean, the work is not so different, right? With well, what they're doing with Oracle kind Cloud. of fizzled out and that, I mean, we can, we can have discussion all day long about what you think passes, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> please no, please let's no. not do that. <laughs> uh, but what I will say is Salesforce, they haven't really changed their, their tune that much because let's look at their acquisition of MuleSoft. Let's look mm -hmm. at their acquisition of Tableau. So they're, they are acquire, strategically acquiring sticky parts of the whole data pipeline. Yeah. Right. So, so, and that's, and the other vendors are taking other approaches, but similar, maybe targeting other sticky parts of the information um, life cycle. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Anthos from Google, instead of focusing on the API, they're focusing on the, the multi-cloud service management stack. So they're taking a services lock-in approach. That to is that API. Strategy. That is API. Like that is talking API all all day long. That's well, yeah, every, everybody's answers. got API, but I'm talking about well, MuleSoft is focused on the API management in an API economy or ecosystem, mm -hmm. and Anthos is there. In my, in my opinion, I mean, I could be wrong, uh, but it, it's really more that services stack. Uh, because they're they're actually open sourcing a, 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 the bulk of their uh, tooling, that it's really the glue that sticks it all together. That's going to create the stickiness. Yeah, actually, that, that's a good point. Actually, you 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 raised it. I think if I go to the for middleware or pass whatever you want to call that today, for if I go for that to a vendor, I freaking end up creating that vendor lock-in for that layer. Right, and then you're stuck there. So go to MuleSoft, you're stuck with MuleSoft, right? So I think the best form of vendor neutrality is cloud. I mean, I'll come back to my cloud, you know, comfort zone, whatever you call it. I think that's why cloud took off because that's where you can bring in data from different SaaS vendors and from your data center and then cook up stuff there in, in the middle, in the open, if you will. It's, I mean, not an open, open means. So you're, the, the neutrality you're describing is the fact that it has easy, easy ingress and egress from a networking perspective. Exactly that. And, and there's a, I also talk about this, this new term I'm trying to coin is that um, it's the skills gravity. Like people, you need people to do that stuff. They know that's how far to do it. They know how to write uh, code um, in that language and that using that API. If you look at AWS developer ecosystem, it's the richest in, in, in cloud world, right? And, and you compare that with any, you know, like a lot, you, will, you can get a lot more people who know AWS than other cloud technologies, I, I believe. Well, I, I think we're being mm. a little bit Bias. at the risk of sounding controversial. That's, it's kind of an elitist thing that we fall into is, is the, the, the developer ecosystem of Amazon is the largest in the world. Well, first of all, it's, it's the oldest, so that would make sense. And Amazon has been tremendously successful. But when you're 
actually out there in the wild trying to help companies with their, their IT strategy, their technology strategy, and trying to look at what is the availability of DevOps architects with AWS certifications, what the cost of those are. Um, it, 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 the, it's, it's just not there. It's not there. It's, it's not, not there. there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's what you're trying to get to. So the feature, uh, sort of scales gravity keeps people where they were. They keep going back to the old stacks. They keep going back to what they were doing. So unless and until we fulfill that need, I mean, not saying just 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 do the AWS. There's Google Alternate, there's Azure, and there are many others. I think unless and until we, I, I, this is another thing I usually say is that to outcompete your competition, you have to out-educate the market. So you have to put a lot more education out there that easy to accessibility to, to technology in general, right? Is 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 the key for any technology to take off. And that's why open source actually usually takes off as compared to closed uh, source. Like it's not that Oracle has sucky technology. It's not accessible. I cannot download that shit and cook up my stuff. No, I can't. Like as compared to um, other stuff, uh, like I have, it's easily accessible. If it's not, even if it's vendor lock-in-ish, I can easily get to it. I get like six months of free cloud. You know, I can cook up an application. I even uh, I don't code much these days, but even I was able to write the, these uh, Alexa, you know, services and using Poly and and all that stuff, you know. Uh, well, there, there's easy. all these different levers of stickiness, right? And and you rightly called out the skills um, uh, uh, gravity, gravity, um, data gravity. So we're talking about ingress and egress of so bandwidth yeah. charges and. Um, it's, you know, talking about open source, that's actually an interesting one around skills gravity, because you look at what the big vendors do, um, you know, Facebook and Google and, 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 and so forth and so on, you know, they'll develop technology in house and then they'll open source it. It's already reached some, it reaches critical mass. And then the recruiters go and target the top contributors to that platform and they can pay, you know, double or triple or quadruple what a regional bank in the Southeast US can afford uh, for somebody using the same technology. So that's a type of lock-in as well. But, it, but to your point, it's really that skills gravity that they're using, leveraging open source to do that. Yeah, definitely. Actually, we were talking about the totally different topics and the, the uh, data um, sovereignty. I can never say that word. And between oh, sovereignty. You, sovereignty, <laughs> yes, sovereignty. Thanks. Somebody has to come in and save me when I say that. You're so, getting your um, Lafayette moment. That's how between, <laughs> between EU and US and all this stuff. And uh, the thing is, the fact is this that there's the uh, economics drives most of the behavior. I always say that. I think. Uh, economically sound entities end up dictating their terms. Like if you're economically sound, you can afford to burn a lot of cash. Uh, there's CapEx involved in, in cooking up these solutions. We know that, right? So we know how much money Amazon poured into AWS for first seven years before any, anybody else jumped in. And anybody else jumps in, they don't, they cannot, you know, spend, burn that much cash. And they are more in tune with, you know, this, there's, there's, there's these like quarterly so I, earnings gonna, and stuff like that. So 
So I'm going to phone with you on that one. Huh? Short-termism uh, is... Am- Amazon, you know, prior to their release of S3 in 2006, they went to a services-oriented architecture uh, and re-architected all of their internal apps. In other words, their retail e-commerce site being the first customer for the cloud, as it were. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think it's correct to say that they invested a whole bunch of money in creating this new cloud business. I think that they were just smart and uh, deterministic around their technology choices to create future market possibilities okay let's okay I, let's not let's don't rebuttal that point let's don't <laughs> that, that's not like they invested a lot but but i think besides that the they are one company which does not um uh think short-termism like they don't like look at their pe right it's like in hundreds right so look at oracle's pe it's like 14 or 15 or 20 these days like it's very low right so like there's old way of thinking and a new way of thinking like Amazon didn't show profit for total Amazon, including AWS for, for uh, 15, 18, 19 years. Like they showed it one year and then they took it away. So they invest like crazy. I think it's a new, totally new paradigm of thinking like a different way of conducting business. I mean, we're not going to show profit and even Salesforce does that. Actually their R and D budget budget is huge. I was astonished to see, uh, to see that they didn't pay any income tax in for, for many years and then they're a rich company. So, so they keep investing that money back into business, not keeping cash stash and giving it to shareholders back. Like everybody else is doing that. But so actually, rise, we're going into a different yeah. direction, but they're doing it. Let me finish my thought. Some companies are, have moved from doing core engineering to financial engineering. So that's why I say that. And, and I, 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 I agree with you on, on what you said. Um, the implication of that, though, is it's interesting to note that it's done nothing to improve the silo problem that it, it, you, you, it's arguably as bad or worse than it was 10 years ago. No, no, hold on. Okay, let me ask you this question. Did it do anything to take you out of the, the clause, if you're looking, clause of Oracle or SAP or other, other companies? Did it do anything? I think it did. All right, gentlemen, since we're all <laughs> nice, I just cut <laughs> off and I see faces ready to go. This is fantastic. This is exactly what we want to have. And uh, I appreciate both of you coming on and keeping this discussion going. And and uh, I'm sure back on Twitter, it'll pop up again after we put this podcast out. And uh, for the guests, if you're, uh, for, I mean, not guests, excuse me, for our listeners, if you listen to this and disagree with Tyler or Sarvajit, get on Twitter and uh, disagree with them. And let's keep this going. You know, this started, it's a great conversation. There's always lots to learn. But unfortunately, I have to cut it off. That's that's my job is to be the bad guy. So um, let me thank Tyler and Sarjit for coming. Fantastic podcast. Really appreciate it. Uh, if anyone wants to reach out to either of you guys, uh, Twitter's still the best place to go or um, any other uh, spots, blogs or things like that. Twitter is the best. Um, yep. I don't even check my email these days. <laughs> yeah, the best like- way to get a hold of Sarjit is to DM 
Yes. On Twitter. <laughs> or or post or post an, a conflicting opinion in a graphic for him and tag it. <laughs> That's my recommendation. Yeah, and, like, when, and I will yeah, make sure absolutely. that when we push this podcast out, you guys at your uh, Twitter handles are in there. And I uh, appreciate both of you joining. Thank you very much. Continue to stay safe. And uh, for those listening, Tyler's Cabin in the Mountains is spectacular. I don't want to cause a run of people to North Carolina, but, uh, you know, I think that's he's he's living the dream uh, out there with the little little stream behind his uh, house. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. well, thanks, thank gentlemen. You, Enjoyed right, it. Thanks, thanks, thanks everybody. Thanks to all, thank you. All right, stay safe.